Are you ready to change your life, your mind, and change the way you see your world? Well, this is the Minds Gym Podcast with myself, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover. And here we go. is uh, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover, um, here with a beautiful young lady that I met at the treehouse that uh, um, we have some similar uh, history, I guess, meaning we've both battled with uh, some anxiety and depression, and our stories are pretty r- relatable. Um, her name is Rebecca. She's overcome severe depression and is now drug-free. Um, her name is Rebecca Day Azevedo Overson, and uh, I'm uh, fortunate and thrilled to hear her story. I just met this young gal about a month ago from a good friend um, at the treehouse, Michael Banks. He says, you got to interview this gal. She's, she's uh, moved mountains recently and had a pretty amazing journey, so... We're going to get to that here in a minute. I'm going to share with you some of her personal uh, um, points of interest, some of her journey. She's one of nine kids, um, comes from a prominent musical Mormon family. She was raised LDS and is no longer active. Um, She overcame severe, uh, what she calls undiagnosed depression. She's a single mother of three kids. She has two sons, one's 13 and 11, uh, that she had with the former spouse, Rob Overson. And uh, they now co-parent those two young boys. And she says they co-parent like rock stars, which I absolutely love. Isn't it wonderful when human beings can split up but yet still get along and and drop their own personal interests to uh, do what's best for the children? Pretty uh, Pretty amazing. Then she has a three-year-old daughter from a uh, another relationship from in the last three or four years that was very difficult, uh, from what I understand. And she's raising her without her father involved. Um, some of her, some of her business highlights: she's a licensed massage therapist since 1995. She's founder and former owner of Salt Lake Prenatal Massage. She has some expertise in fertility massage, prenatal and postpartum massage, and was also a birth doula. She sold her massage practice in 2018, and now she has a worldwide following, coaching massage therapists in private practice to build their own empires and succeed as business owners. Um, She has a Bachelor of Arts degree in spiritual psychology. She's certified in the work of Byron Katie, which all of you listeners know I'm a huge fan of Byron Katie. Uh, That was the game changer for me. She's a master practitioner of NLP, which is neuroscience linguistic programming, uh, hypnosis, and also timeline therapy, which I'm going to talk to her about a few of these items because a couple of these are new to me. So an amazing young lady we have here and uh, I'm so uh, uh, lucky to uh, be able to hear her story and hear mine. So how are you today, Rebecca? Uh, Awesome. I'm super happy to be here. I appreciate you uh, spending a couple hours with me. Yeah. I'm assuming this is going to be a, a little longer podcast because most <laughs> of mine are. And after reading some of your bio and your history, we we could be here all day. We could have a show together. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been accused of being um, brief yeah. in my speaking. So, cool. um, yeah, lots of ground we could cover for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We, and I think what I want to say, too, I think what you're doing is really important. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and contribute to your cause and support your listeners. And I, I just destigmatizing this whole thing with mental health is super important. 
especially in the anxiety and depression space, people need to know that they're not alone. Yeah. You know, and that some very, very successful, awesome human beings out there struggle on a daily basis or have struggled in the past. And it's okay to say that. Yeah. We're all human. Yeah, I know? love it. Yeah, yeah, I've tried to share my story and be honest and uh, and let people know, you know, that, you know, I'm a real human being too. Yeah, I'm behind this mic and I have a podcast, but, uh, you know, I work hard to manage my anxiety and depression and sometimes it, you know, still shows up. So yeah. So I'm interested to hear your story. Um, we kind of started this podcast to deal with anxiety and depression and and to be able to you for you to be able to share some tools, I think is going to be very impactful and and uh, wonderful for myself and and hopefully some of the listeners can um, learn from your expertise. Absolutely. So, happy, happy to share anything yeah. I can. You're also, which I didn't mention, you are a singer. I've and been a piano player. Yeah, I've been a professional entertainer for over t- over ten years. I've been a headlining dueling piano player at uh, you know, locals. No, uh, I started at a bar called the Tavernacle, which is a great play on words. There, I was there for about two and a half years, and then I've been at Keys on Main for about eight years now. Um, I do two to two to four shows a week, and I have for. For 10 years, it's an all-request rock and roll dueling piano show. It's never the same show twice. It's all like improv. It's comedy. It's it's so much fun. And, um, you know, I having been born into a, I'm a, basically a fourth-generation musical entertainer, so it's kind of just what we do in our family, but, but it's just I never take that for granted. It's such a fun um, skill. It's a great job. It's a great... You know, anywhere you go in the world, you're bound to bump into a dueling piano bar, and yeah. it's just a riot. It's a good time. It's cool. So yeah. Do you ever, uh, when you are traveling, do you ever grab a, the piano or grab the mic? All the time. Yes. <laughs> you're not afraid. Knock knock. Hi guys, I'm here. You know. <laughs> well, because it's actually it's a very male dominated profession. Mm. There's about 200 women in the whole entire world that do dueling pianos professionally, and um, I just know that because we all have a Facebook group together. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's a rare set of skills. And um, so whenever I you know, I go to Las Vegas, I'll go over to New York, New York. And, hey, guys, I play at Keys yeah. on Main. They're like, awesome, you want to sit in with us? And it's, you know, it's a yeah. really tight community. So Very every, everyone's welcome. Yeah, I great. love that. Yeah, That's cool. Um, I'm not sure I mentioned, did I say you were a birth doula when I was talking about mm-hmm. your highlights? Yeah, yeah, you okay. did. Yeah, I've I've supported in a couple years, actually, did I supported a ton of births. Um, probably about 55 or so births in a two or three year period. And then I, when I got pregnant with my daughter, I just, I didn't want to be on call 24 seven with everything that I was doing. It was really hard to be on call 24 seven, knowing that you could drop, you had to drop everything and be gone for, I think the longest labor I've supported was 54 hours, you know? So yeah. So you just, I just thought, well, okay. With all the things I have on my plate, that one needs to go. I love it. Absolutely loved it. But that was the least practical of everything that I was doing. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, if you're being a birth doula, you're more involved than the OBGYN. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You're, you're like full service, right? Oh, 24/7. absolutely. 24-7. And from the minute they think they might be in labor, I'm there on deck supporting, interpreting, you know, assessing their progress um, and deciding, you know, when it's time to go to if they're giving birth at the hospital and just helping, I, it's, I call it air traffic control. Yeah. It's really, you know, very, very hands-on. And a lot of my clients hired me because I was such a, nat, a natural birth advocate. You know, I, I'm, I'm really about, was you know, my career was really about empowering birth. Um, so whatever people choose is fine. But why a lot of my clients gravitated to me was because natural birth, you know, I have, have, have had all three of my children at home with midwives. And so I wow. know the full experience of giving birth, you know, and all the sensations and spaces that come with that. And so when I had clients that knew that I did that and they said, you know, I want to give birth unmedicated, but I want to do it in a hospital. I'd be like, well, then you better have a doula, you know. So that was really my, the thing I was most proud of was my two things was turning babies that were malpositioned because I've been a massage therapist for 25 years. I've got mad skills with my hands. So I could actually work with the woman's body and work with the baby in utero to actually get it in a better position for birth so that it wasn't 
occiput posterior, things that just make for a longer, more challenging birth. Yeah. And then also my favorite thing was we get to the hospital and they're nine centimeters and they're ready wow. to push. You know, we really? just skipped the whole hospital part of it. I would labor with them at home and get them to the birth center or to the hospital when they were oh. ready to have the baby. And so that was the strategy was if you want a natural birth in a hospital, stay out of the hospital. <laughs> Really? As long as possible, you know. So oh, I love that. Yeah, I, oh, that could be a whole other. I want to go with that. It could be a whole other topic. But yeah. but for me, the bottom line was that women deserve to have a fighting chance at an experience. And men too, by the way. Obviously, the men. I definitely want the dads involved and all of that. But but since the woman is the main stage there, you know, it's I I just wanted them to have a fighting chance at a birth experience that's ec- ecstatic and mm. traumatic because the way you give birth. The way you were born impacts your life forever. Yeah. You were imprinted. And the that. way a woman gives birth impacts her life forever. Mm. And I had such joyful, empowering, I mean, it was peak, ex- peak experience of my life for sure. Giving mm. birth to my children. Did it hurt? Absolutely. Was it intense? Absolutely. My second birth was painless, and that's actually, we could dive into the work of Byron Katie and that story, because a lot of that happened um, when I was, I was at the school for the work when I was pregnant with him, and some really mm. cool mindfulness things that were going on when I was in labor with him, but to give birth at home to a 10-pound baby and say that it was actually painless and ecstatic wow. is pretty awesome, it's just peak experiences of my life. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And Rebecca is just... For those of you listening, is not a big girl. I am five foot three and one hundred and twenty pounds. <laughs> wow, you had a ten pound I'm, baby. Yeah, yeah, and it was just—it was an incredible experience, you know, all uh, the way around. That's amazing. But mind work—it yeah. was mind work. Yeah, I was—it wasn't a physical game. The body knows what to do. It's the mind that gets in the way, yeah. and I was just totally in a state of surrender. Just feel what it felt like. Just let it be and. Man, that kid came barreling out. I, I, I was in shock. I mean, mm. I was just like, oh, my gosh. I watched the video of his birth. You know, I document with photos and video because I think they're important experiences. But it was like I literally said, you guys, that didn't even hurt. That, like, that, was, that didn't even hurt. That was awesome. Everyone should do that. You know? Wow. And it was after he was born that I started my prenatal massage practice because I was so, like, on fire about people mm-hmm. need to know that ecstatic birth is a thing. Yeah. And and women deserve to be empowered in that experience, not humiliated, not traumatized. Um, but just if you don't feel and look like a goddess in labor, you're not being treated right. Really. And I just wanted to bring that to to my friends and my wow. my women folk, my community. So cool. So, um, yeah. My it makes me think a whole bunch. I have a lot of thoughts on that topic. But maybe we're going to talk about birth today. Who maybe knows? we are. You I don't know. know. I mean, Whatever. We, we're, <laughs> We're reborn every day anyways, right? Exactly. When we wake up. Exactly. Uh, my brother's wife has had two cesareans, and she's pregnant now, and mm-hmm. she wants to have natural birth, and mm-hmm. the doctor's going to allow her to try, but maybe I'll recommend a birth doula to her. Yeah, a doula, and then also, this might sound controversial to a lot of people, but just understand that you know, you collect evidence for whatever you believe. Mm-hmm. You'll only see what you believe. Right. And if it was me and I was her doula, I would say do a home birth. Stay out of the hospital intervention system. And and midwives, Utah, here in Utah, and a lot of states in the country, these are licensed midwives. Some of them are even nurse midwives that no longer are part of the hospital system. So they're highly skilled in the flow chart and decision tree. And, you know, nobody's risking anything here. They know when... They know when there's a situation and they need to divert and go into the medical system, just like anything else. Right. Um, but I would suggest, if it was my client, I would say, stay out of the hospital unless you already know you have a pre-existing condition where you need to do that. But just because she's had two cesareans does not automatically equal in and of itself that she needs to be in a hospital to give birth. In fact, the research has shown that, and I can't quote what studies, but I'll just tell you off the top of my head, the research has shown that the biggest influencing outcome, like what is the biggest influencing factor of the outcomes of a birth is who's attending it. Hmm. Because if you've ever given a two-year-old a hammer, they'll find all kinds of things that need pounding. And if you are having your birth attended by a surgeon, well... 
surgery is an option. Hmm. You don't get creative. You don't get yeah. resourceful. You go, well, you know, we could just end this. You know, you've been in labor so long and you're yeah. so tired and you're not progressing. You know, we could just, mm-hmm. a lot of, <laughs> most C-sections, oh. when I talk to my um, clients and my friends, are they're never emergencies. They're all elective. Yeah. They're all elective. And it's basically a point of just going, well, we don't know what else to do. So let's just surgically remove the baby. And, and the woman is like, that's it? Just yeah. because my cervix didn't dilate fast enough? Like, what about patience? What about time? What about get her off with an IV and let, let her go walk around? How about leave the hospital for a little bit? How about go home and sleep? Yeah. But in the flow chart of the medical stream, and again, yeah. God bless them, they save our lives, but birth sure. isn't an emergency. Yeah. Birth is a totally normal process. So, you know, so that's, uh, yeah, it's just always interesting. And I, I like to be that kind of voice that they're not hearing, you know. And mm. I, in my former career, you know, I'm not doing that anymore, but, but that was always very important to me to say, hey, you have options. I mean, I've even talked to women at Costco. One in particular comes to mind. We're still Facebook friends. She was 40 weeks pregnant. I struck up a conversation with her. She's like, yeah, I'm going to be induced tomorrow. I'm here just walking around Costco trying to start my labor or whatever. I said, why are you being induced? Well, because I'm past my due date. I was like, is this your first baby? Yeah. Okay, did you know statistically most first babies are 7 to 10 days past their due date? Like, well, my doctor won't let me. I'm like, your doctor is not the authority of your body, right? He's not God. He's not God, and nobody knows when a baby's going to be born, and there's nothing wrong with being pregnant for four more days. You know, then they throw in all the fear and all the stuff, and it's good luck. Ah, just stop it. Like, trust your body. Trust your body. No one's in control over life or death. You know, when you have a child, you risk everything. And so she, long story short, ended up canceling the induction. And then gave birth on her own. Two days later, you know, went into labor on her own. And she just said, Rebecca, you know, thank you for having the courage to just lovingly, not not from a position, not from a you're bad or wrong or judgment, but just, hey, it sounds to me like you really don't want to be induced. So why are you doing that? (laughs) You know, it's all about choice. Yeah. You know? And man, That's so cool. we could weave that into lots of things. I feel like talking about depression now, you know, because I think part of what, what hurts us is when we feel like we've been robbed of our autonomy. Yeah. And there's nothing more personal and private to a woman than her reproductive organs and her ability to give life and her ability to, you know, birth a child. But for me, was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. Mm. And I, but it was a defining moment to go, I can do hard things. I can wow. do very hard things. You know, workouts for me, not hard. Natural childbirth, you know, let's Ugh. put it into context. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, this is all oh, my legs are so <laughs> sore. Oh, I'm working on pushing up this. You know, Michael had me doing leg press with like 310 pounds the other day. And I was like, oh, my legs were shaking and it hurt and it burned. I was like, but like literally a one on the one to 10 scale of just physical intensity oh. when you talk about childbirth. So that's what was a defining moment where I could say, you know what, I can choose what I want to focus on. And I have the ability to create my own experience if yeah. I know that I have options. Wow. And people just need to know they have options. Yeah. So I can totally relate there. My wife had two cesareans and uh, first baby was, little Sophie was overdue four, five, six days. And we went in there like, oh, tomorrow, emergency C-section. We got to get this little girl out of here. And we're like, okay. Right. We don't know any different, right? Right. right. You but think see, the doctor knows best. But if it was tomorrow, it's not an emergency. Yeah. An emergency C-section, she's out cold within 10 seconds, and that baby is out within three minutes. It's mm. a life or death. Like, literally, I've never seen an emergency C-section. Yeah. I've just seen, oh, oh, oh shoot, C-sections, or let's, huh, you know, like, it's a, yeah. it's a preemptive strike. But if it yeah. was an actual life or death emergency you wouldn't have even had time to consent to it. You consent when you check in the hospital to obviously all that, but Mm -hmm. literally it would have gone boom. They would have yanked all the cords out of the wall. Shibu would have been knocked out by the anesthesiologist, wheeled into the OR, and and within three minutes that baby would have been out. I've heard of it once. Hmm. And it was because the mom was being monitored and the baby's heart rate just started to tank out of nowhere. And they just went, oh my gosh, let's go they were losing the baby in utero, you know, so they just went in and took the baby immediately. And so, you know what I mean? So it's interesting because we're kind of how we frame it. We go, oh, it was an emergency. You go, mm, 
I'm curious about that. Yeah. I'm just curious. And again, not to, I don't want to invalidate that experience, but oh, again, no. knowledge is power, right? Oh, for sure. Options are everything. A choice, yeah. choice is what gives us the ability to exercise our autonomy and feel like we get to create our lives instead of we have to just take what's been handed to us and resign ourselves to it. Yeah. You know? It's all about so. education too. Like we weren't highly educated in the birthing process and I actually went to the Byron Katie school and one of my uh, gals that uh, was there staffing too, uh, mm-hmm. her and I staffed together, but she was a midwife. Mm-hmm. So then we drove for 90 minutes from uh, well, it's Santa Barbara or whatever back to Ojai, and she told me all about the birthing press. I learned so much in that yeah. 90 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I didn't even know that this existed. Yeah, you just because we that's, don't. You that's know, about the doula is like you've got to be supported, and in fact, it's always for the dad. Yeah. I always told my clients the doula is for the dad. It's for the dad to feel like he's useful mm-hmm. in the process, because otherwise, you're just like, okay, and yeah. you don't know. And I think the I had a client once, it was her fourth baby, and she wanted to do this one natural. She said had some real complications that a child with special needs and some things like that previously. And she said part of her wishes was, I want my husband to catch the baby. I put that in air quotes because, you know, catch a baby as if it's like a ball being lobbed or something. It's not. But he want, you know, she wanted her husband to catch the baby. The doctor came in uh, and said, oh, you're not credentialed. You can't do that. Hmm. and insurance and yeah, babies are slippery and i was just like you're not cre- you're not credentialed what? you're the father are you the dad <laughs> exactly but again you have to accept when you go into a hospital system you say yes to everything that hospitals do and so sure. i just opted out i was healthy i was educated i was supported um and i just opted out of that because i didn't want hmm. somebody telling me and putting putting fear into me i wanted to be supported and empowered and also have people that were skilled and knowledgeable enough to help me make a decision if things were starting to take a turn where it was no longer, you know, safe to give birth at home. But usually giving birth in, for a low-risk pregnancy, giving birth at home is safer than in a hospital. Wow. Yeah. Well, so, we just learned anyway. a whole lot. Yeah, there birth, you go. The birth, birth process. It's the birth so there podcast we go. here. So we yeah. can we can New move podcast. on to other topics. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's where I started. You that's know, awesome. Yeah, I it love was a it. Huge journey for me. And, and it's yeah. interesting now. I feel like I'm living in a totally different lifetime. I love it. That was a good decade of my life that was absolutely on fire. But man, that chapter closed when my when my daughter was born. It was like, pss, like the fire was just, I was just done. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where what you're doing and what your life has been all about and what you've dedicated all your heart and soul and energy to. And all of a sudden you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what am I going to do now? What a time to reinvent myself. Yeah, it happens know. to me like twice every other year, I swear. <laughs> exactly. It's, I get bored so easily. It's highly creative minds. Yeah. I think get it's bored like, hey, this sounds really fun. And then yeah. it's so fun for a year or two and then it's not. Yeah. And you start over. Well, that's all part of the journey. Yeah. Right. Also, entrepreneurs have bright, shiny object syndrome, which is they're always chasing the yeah. next. Like, ooh, that yeah. sounds fun. Ooh, yeah. that sounds fun, yeah. you know. How do I go make more money? Exactly. That's a, that's a good story. Yeah. One I like to subscribe to too often. Uh, tell me briefly, you're one of nine kids, mm-hmm. just briefly about uh, your upbringing. Where did you grow up? Yeah. Uh, kids where where do you fall on that one of nine kids just uh, yeah i'm number brief, 6 2 minute family history family history yeah i'm number 6 born in southern california my parents lived in the san fernando valley for 30 years my dad was a record producer at capitol and um and then uh, he started an lds record label which is a horrible idea but was very uh prior to saturday's warrior which a lot of you've got if you've got latter day saint listeners or you know, my dad, somebody said my, that Lex Azevedo is to the Mormon church what George Lucas is to the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, long story short, so he, he had a record company that was based here in Salt Lake City mm-hmm. called Embryo Records. He sold it to a person who eventually sold it to Deseret Book. So it's just kind of owned by the church now. But uh, he moved us all here in 1986. I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, I grew up in Salt Lake City. Uh, spent a couple of years on the East Coast, but you know, m- most of my siblings are all here. We're all entrepreneurs, um, and I, my one, my only exception is my older brother Lex Jr., who lives in 
uh, southern Utah. But everybody lives, we all live within five, ten miles of each other. Oh, even that's amazing. Closer. Yeah, yeah. Right my here. parents are divorced. They got divorced in 1994 when I was a senior in high school. Um, my dad's been remarried twice, and he's, uh, you know, his current marriage, he's very, very happy. And Cool. And, yeah, there you go. Love it. Yeah, my big crazy... A big crazy Mormon family. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you were raised LDS. Raised LDS. Um, most of my siblings have departed from the mm. church, uh, but very, uh, we're a very integrated and very. My family really values um, speaking openly about mental health and being just op- very open and loving. I mean, I have a sister that is a tattoo artist. She's actually been voted best tattoo artist in the state of Utah for six years. Cool. I have a sister that is an Emmy-nominated children's television show host. I have another sister that is a, a master's in social work and a PhD. She's her name is Julie. She's on a lot of local uh, publications here, and she's very committed to um, breaking through some of the cultural uh, misconceptions that create a lot of mental health issues within the LDS Church. And she's her husband is a bishop. She's in the Relief Society, but she walks a fine line. But she's oh, been counseling right. counseling Latter Day Saint women for twenty five years and understands that you know. there's some things that need to be talked about. And so she gets a lot of criticism for that, but she's really a powerful role model for me that you can uh, make a mark on the world and be a wife and a mother and a, you know, all of these, all of these great things. And so, um, I, my, really, really, they're all so creative. Um, a couple of my brothers have YouTube channels that are very, very successful children's entertainment and education and just, um, we're a lot of overachievers in my family, (laughs) but I think it's because my dad, modeled to us that you can and should build a business around your passion that makes a difference in the world. He stood for the possibility of music that's uplifting for the youth of the Latter-day Saint, you know, population, whereas he was in sex, drugs, and rock and roll in the 60s and 70s, and he created a genre that didn't exist. So he just kind of modeled to us that, yes, you find what you're passionate about and absolutely build a business around it. And and have it make a, a real difference in the world. So that's kind of what we all do, and that's the culture I grew up in in my family. That's you know? so cool. It is pretty cool. I look around and I think, gosh, you know, I really have a great tribe. I, I really, you know, my, my siblings are just, they inspire me, they challenge me, they, we, all, we all just kind of fuel each other's uh, creativity and, mm. and openness and very open about healing. In my family, too, for sure. So neat. Yeah. Mental health has been a challenge in my family, too. Depression, yeah. you know, um, all of that stuff. Were your mom or dad depressed growing up? Do you remember? Absolutely. But not yeah. dealing with it. Yeah. And there was an impact of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and my parents' divorce after 28 years was was pretty devastating, you know. But there was always, there's always the underlying stories you don't know when you're a kid, you know, and all that for stuff. Sure. And so as adults, it kind of all comes out and you go, oh, wow, that was some pretty... That was some pretty messed up stuff that had we been dealing with it, that had we had an open dialogue about it and had my parents been responsible for their own depression, that it would have changed what was possible for us. And so we've all just decided we're going to be that. We're going to be that change. We're going to speak openly about it. We're going to talk with our kids about it. We're going to say, hey, these are your options. This is what we tend to struggle. Again, whether it's genetic is a whole other debate, sure. but at least that's what our propensity is in our family. And so we're going to be hmm. open about it. We're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about what medications we're on. We're going to be a resource for each other instead of, yeah. you know, hide it and be shameful and all of that stuff that's just totally unnecessary. Yeah. You wouldn't be ashamed of having diabetes, you know, no. depression. What's the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just another. So mental health it's just a diagnosis you know diagnosis it is interesting too to talk about whether or not it's uh, hereditary or genetic or what it may be but for me as I watch human beings and I study and work on the mind so much I I swear it's you just you repeat what you see Mm -hmm. I mean uh, it's a movie you're watching right and then usually we repeat it because we either know to do that or we know to do the opposite well, from so an NLP so perspective, like yeah. neurolinguistic programming is really about how we take in information from the world through our five senses, and then we have to encode it. We cannot, we certainly cannot process the millions and millions and millions of bits of information every second that are assaulting our nervous system. So we delete, distort, and generalize that information, 
and we process it through filters and, you know, that could be just how we grew up. We have particular lenses for how we look at life, but they're unconscious filters that determine the pictures and words that we have on repeat in our heads. And the pictures and words in our heads are what determine our emotional state and then determines our behavior and vice versa. It's also reverse feedback loop as well. So, so that's one of the things that's been most useful for me is actually getting tools for how do you change the pictures in your head? Yeah. Oh, when I am depressed, I have very specific pictures in my head. And, oh, for sure. and, you know, and so it's not so much about changing the environment as it is about being able to navigate the, the uh, haunted house, as it were, of the mind, you know, mm-hmm. and be able to focus on other, other things, yeah. you know. But, yeah, so much of it is uh, a conditioned response to the, yeah. what we're getting from our environment, as well as biological factors, for sure. I mean, that's what Kelly Brogan taught me. You know, I mentioned her to you. She's been a fantastic resource for me, and uh, really, I, I credit her with the, the lion's share of me getting off of of medication and just shattering the paradigm of that this is genetic. Yeah. Oh, this is just genetic. You know, if you're an Azevedo, you should just be on a, you know, this and such medication or whatever. I just, that made me mad when she said it's actually not genetic and it actually may not have anything to do with serotonin. It was like, well, then what is this? Yeah. If I'm not at the effect of something over which I have no control, then I have to be a cause. I have to go do something. I can't just accept this and live with it. I'm going to do something to change it because it's malleable now. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really powerful. Yeah, you know, really powerful for me. I so, love that. Yeah. So uh, with the NLP or with the, with that, uh, I think you call it what that um, timeline therapy. Mm-hmm. So are you? Is your goal to change the picture, the story that you're seeing, or is it about changing your environment? Well, it's always about changing what's going on in your head. So right. programming has to do with that. We literally run programs all the time, unconscious programs. We, I mean, when you think about just really simply, like, how do you know that you like something? Mm-hmm. How do you know that you dislike something? There's literally a, a program, unconscious, boom, 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 a series of decisions, internal and external. You know, when you bought something, the last time you went to the store and bought a, night, a pair of shoes you liked, how did you make that decision? Yeah. You have a... We call them an NLP, the jargon is strategies. It's a buying strategy. We have love strategies. We have, how do you know you're loved? For some people, it's like you have to be looked at in a certain way or you've got to be touched or you've got to, you, they have to pay, you know, everybody receives that information differently. So it's absolutely about helping a person um, change the operating system, mm-hmm. you know, that's giving you the output, that's, that's creating the result. Yeah. Almost like debugging, defragging, you know, the hard drive, so to speak, so that you create more more room. But timeline therapy um, is really, and I, and I want to be clear, t- there is a timeline therapy. It's a registered trademark. There's a timeline therapy association. A lot of people out there doing, like, this kind of work talk about the timeline and walking the t- different. That's just different. It's all just different. But... To, uh, so timeline therapy as a specific modality is really about um, when you change your memories, you change your future. If you think about it, like the person that you are today, you're generally experiencing life based on the, the what's the word, conglomeration of all of the past. Sure, 100%. And if you and but the past is the past and you can't change the past and so you're just stuck with it and at best you have to struggle to overcome it. Cuz it's the past and you I mean I can't even change the, what I had for breakfast this morning. That's over. That's done. Sure. Can't undo that, you know? And so it's interesting because we do store memory in our unconscious mind. And the way we store memory, it's actually part of the job of our unconscious mind. So in the process with timeline therapy, is really about being able to go back to where that all got created. And it could be somewhere in your life. And it could be somewhere in the collective unconscious, which might look like for some people past lives. Again, I don't necessarily believe in, I wasn't raised to believe in reincarnation like a lot of Eastern philosophies teach, you know, but I was taught that I existed before my physical incarnation, right? So um, also I know things can be inherited genetically in terms of like, you know, when people say, oh, 
in our family, you know, it's like, oh, all the, you know, all of the, uh, all of the men died by age 60. You know, it's this really weird thing, you know, and it's like, is it, yeah. <laughs> is that just an accident or is there some kind of unconscious communication going on here that we all, you know, share? So, so timeline therapy is a beautiful process for releasing limiting decisions and negative emotions on, of the past, mm. um, so that you have new options for your future and you can also use it to create your future. So with timeline therapy, it's similar to the Byron Katie work, right? Mm -hmm. You go back, visit an event that was stressful, and you find out what actually took place, not what you thought happened. Is that tie into your timeline therapy, or is it completely a different process? totally different. What I love about it is that with timeline therapy, you don't actually deal with any of the content of the event. Really? So with the work, you know, it's like, well, what happened? There's what happened, and then there's the story you tell about it. Sure. You know, and mostly why people are suffering is not because of what happened. It's because their story they're telling about it, right? But And then the work is a, is a process for uh, shifting, you know, the, the beliefs about what happened so that you have more options, Sure. right? You do the turnarounds, and you realize, oh, he's not the jerk. I'm the jerk, or I'm being the jerk to myself, or, you know, those types of things can be very, very useful cognitive processes for seeing other things that you didn't see before, which give you options. Um, but with timeline therapy, it is working with the, it's working consciously with the unconscious mind. Cool. So the unconscious mind is responsible for storing memories. And it also represses ne- m- uh, memories with negative emotions, but it also presents those memories for resolution when it's time. Hmm. And so it's just a process of being able to um, ask the unconscious mind. You actually engage in a dialogue with the unconscious mind. I and that. I really love that because I feel yeah. like I am I am so the woo-woo, woo-woo girl. You know, I all my life I... I I felt this um, pull towards the supernatural. And, you know, as a kid, I read about ghosts and aliens and the pyramids. <laughs> I was just really into the the mysteries and things like that. Sure. And I was a very, um, I don't want to say psychic because that word has a lot of charge on it for people, but just very, very intuitive, spirit-guided, spirit-seeking um, person, just very oriented to those types of things. And so... You know, sometimes people will be like, oh, you know, they'll go to a psychic to say, oh, help me decode what's going on or help give me some, you know, hope for the future. But I feel like with timeline therapy, when I am helping people have a dialogue with their own unconscious mind, they themselves are accessing what they need to access and being able to see what they need to see that changes everything. But remember, it's happening at an unconscious level. So somebody in the process, and I won't necessarily go into the detail of it, but in the process of it, I might ask, tell them to ask your unconscious mind, what's the first event, which, what's the root cause of this problem? The Mm. first event, which when disconnected, Mm -hmm. will cause the entire problem to disappear. Mm. And if you were to know, was it before, during, or after your birth? That's literally the question I ask people. Mm. And I say, trust your unconscious mind. Like whatever, and how you do that is whatever comes up. Don't, don't, Don't think about it. Don't try to like recall it. Just there's going to be an impression that surfaces and just say it. Don't judge it. Just say it. You know, and sometimes so I'll say, was it before, during, or after your birth? And they'll say, before. And I'll say, okay, was it in the womb or before that? I mean, people have memories of things that happened in the womb. Totally. It's amazing. And in my degree program, I studied that a lot. I mean, there's just so much corroboration. I mean, we're, we are conscious when we're in the womb. We remember, we feel what our mothers are feeling. We hear conversations and things like that. But then you go, oh, before, okay, you know, so whatever it was, you just are able to locate just where that beginning point was on the timeline. And some things when I've done timeline therapy myself, you know, it's like 16 generations ago. Okay, great. I don't I don't need to go figure out who that was or what was going on. I just say, okay, thank you, unconscious mind. I trust you. And then I go back to that point on my timeline, whatever that looks like, 16 generations ago. I just close mm. my eyes. It's all a process of active imagination mm. and following instructions. But I can go back and I can get what I needed to get. It's kind of, you know, in karma. Yeah. In karma, right? Karma. Sure. We repeat cycles until we mm. get it. Right. So I can go back in my imagination to that event and I can ask my unconscious mind, what is it that it needs to learn from this event, the learning of which will allow me to easily and effortlessly let go of the negative emotion, the anger, hurt, sad, fear, guilt, grief, whatever whatever it is. What is it I needed to get? That if I got it, I'd be free from it. And then your unconscious mind tells you 
And you either know that consciously, like sometimes people just start getting a download. They'll go, you know what? And I'll write it down. They'll just go, they'll go, uh, say, what are the, what are, what are the learnings? What is it that you needed to get in that moment? And they'll go, you know, there's, you know, nothing bad ever happens to me. I am courageous. I'm strong. This is all happening for a reason. You know, like they, they start to say these things that I, that are what a lot of people arrive at when they have those epiphanies doing any other processes like the work Hmm. or other things like that. And then it's kind of like the event is deleted as a negative thing on the timeline, which changes right. the whole gestalt. Right. So then moving forward, the whole timeline can reevaluate itself all the way to the present. It's almost like revising the past mm. so that it serves the possibility of a new future. But never do we deal with content. It's fascinating. It's right. quick. In 15 minutes, I've seen people absolutely let go of all the anger in their life, all the sadness in their life, mm. all the fear. It's a really powerful process. So that's what I've been up to for the last two years is getting all the certifications and that. And I'm now a, tr- a certified board certified trainer. So now you do timeline therapy. I do. I'm actually very just committed to teaching it. I have practiced uh-huh. it with clients. You know, I have all of my, my coaching clients are all healers. They're all, you know, I help massage therapists build businesses. And so, so I help, I use timeline therapy to help them through their negative emotions and limiting decisions that are impeding their business success or their ability to put their gifts out there in the world. But ultimately my goal is I want to be doing healing in mass. I want to be doing healing from the stage. I want to have 500 people in a room and we'll say, okay, who's ready to let go of their hanger (laughs) and literally do that as a group. I think that's, I think the planet's ready for it. And I think that that's what's needed, you know? I agree. 100%. So it's a kind of like I have so many different channels through which I use this and intend to use it. But personally, it's been a fantastic tool for my own evolution. Mm. And also another, I think, part of the reason why I don't have any of those symptoms anymore yeah. is because I've had the tools to completely eliminate sadness mm. from so, my past. And it wasn't even mine. Most of the time yeah. when I do timeline therapy, it's not even mine. Really, It's a generational thing. So who brought timeline therapy into your world? How'd you hear about it? I heard about it from my friend. Her name is Felice Austin. Um, she, her, she's a kundalini yoga instructor. She actually teaches Christ-centered kundalini yoga. So her spiritual name is Nam Jyoti Kaur, and she's a certified teacher through the Kundalini Research Association. She's a dear friend of mine, and actually I collaborated on or contributed to a book about spirituality and childbirth for Latter-day Saint women when I was still a member of the church, you know, a few years ago or 10 years ago when my kids were born. So we met, you know, a decade ago in that kind of birthing world process and all of that. And uh, and then um, she's also a hypnotherapist. And I did a hypnotherapy session with her and she mentioned timeline therapy. And I said, well, what's that? And she's like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like, the, the real practitioners of it charge like $2,000 an hour. Like it's literally 10 years of therapy in an hour, just mm-hmm. powerful, powerful tool. So of course, being the curious cat that I am, I got online and I Googled it and I found it. Uh, and it's Tad James is the creator of Timeline Therapy. And he's also uh, the owner of the Tad James Company, which is the largest NLP and hypnotherapy training kind of school on the planet, you know. So I submitted for some information Um, they sent me some stuff and I did, uh, they sent me this audio file that was like a journey on the timeline and Brandon, I'll tell you this particular journey on the timeline, he has you go out into your future, go to the future under your timeline and go into the light. And I went into the light (laughs) and it was like, wow, like I got an experience of that. I am the light. I am light. That's my nature. And I mean, imagine you know, how profound it is when people have near-death experiences and they come back. It changes their whole schema, their whole perspective. And doing this silly little, you know, flash drive, sitting at home in my office, plug it in. Okay, Tad James, talk to me. You know, mm. and he does this kind of, you know, this journey on the timeline. I just something changed in me forever, and it was like, whoa! I can no longer pretend that I'm not what I just saw, that I am. And I don't say that from a place of like ego, like I'm the light, you know, like, but I think it's our nature. That's who we are. Absolutely. That is our nature. We came from the light. We will return to the light. What the light is, I don't know. That's up for total debate and is the cause of a lot of wars and pain in this world. But for me, I know in my core, our essence is light. 
And when I actually made contact with that, yes, in my imagination, but it was absolutely real process, a very mm. impactful experience. I came back to my body in present time and I was like, let's rock and roll. Like mm. my time is limited mm. on this planet. You know, I'd like to live till I'm 125 years old, you know, but I, but I just, that was that key insight I told you about, mm. you know, when my depression was just like gone forever was the realization that Rebecca, your days are numbered. They're numbered. And you're either going to fight this and suffer and lie in bed all day <laughs> and question your worth and feel like a piece of crap and feel like you're not doing anything meaningful or you're going to get up and have the courage to slay the dragons, the internal dragons, and do the freaking work to get all that stuff out of the way because I know healing is possible. I stand for healing. I believe anything can be healed. Anything. We're not stuck with anything. I think that defies our nature to believe we're stuck with something. We're not stuck. We just haven't found the key. And that's been my mission is get all the tools out there on the planet. People need to know the tools. The work of Byron Katie absolutely changed my life. I was also trained by Landmark Worldwide for over 20 years. I love Landmark Education, the most profound, awesome transformation in a box kind of weekend that I, I've shared it with hundreds of people, including all my family, my parents, absolutely miraculous for my family. Um, and then, you know, the work, so impactful. And then hypnosis, uh, the mind, hypnosis is the mind-body connection, essentially, guys. It's not a person with a watch going, you will get sleepy. You know, it's not mm. cluck like a chicken or any of that stuff, you know. But just the powerful tools for navigating the mind, going back to your original question was, yes, you do have to change some things in the environment, but the environment will change when you change the pictures and images and words that you habitually, unconsciously, use in your mind. Hmm. So yeah, that's really what it's all about for me. It's yeah. like people need to have the tools and the work that I do now is very deliberate in that um, by empowering massage therapists to uh, really articulate what their gifts and skills are and put them out in the world in a meaningful way, my vision is just really releasing a whole <laughs> army of healers on this planet, mm. starting with massage therapists because that was my journey. You know, I, sure. I, I got into it for healing, not for massages. You know, I think, I think a lot of people out there are saying, oh, oh, you're a masseuse. No, I'm not a masseuse. Like it's, you know, massage therapists are really passionate and skilled healers and it's not just rubbing muscles. A lot of them, the, when they work with me, they discover there a lot of actually my, uh, my, my clients have practices revolving around supporting people with depression and anxiety yeah. because touch is profound and being able to grieve and feel what you're not feeling. Mm. Um, you know, so it's just for me, it's just all about how do we get all these tools out there on the planet so that people can know that they have options yeah. and they have support. You Your know? information's fascinating. Um, you're giving me some new tools to research mm. on my journey with, Anxiety, depression, the mind. Um, do you believe that timeline therapy, has that been your best tool that you've found that's uh, helped you move yeah, forward? For sure. Out of all the things that you've found and researched, it sounds like you're highly motivated. Yeah. Um, sounds like you really get after it, but it's uh, the quickest. you've done a lot. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and I'm always looking for what works. Yeah. And also there's what works for different people. Sure. And there's what works for different people at different journey places on their journey of consciousness mm. and um and sometimes I get a little bit impatient and I want things to work faster yeah. so I'm just looking at like what's what's efficient but um I did as part of my master practitioner training we we get trained to do an eight-hour personal breakthrough session it's basically like a 27-step process and that's what I do with my one-on-one -on -one clients now and it is profound my like I'm even surprised like, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I know what the outcome is that the client wants. Mm -hmm. But, and then I also know when they get it, that they know that they got it because that's part of the process is how will you know when you got this result, right? Mm -hmm. But just most of the time, 
yeah, I do hypnosis. Yeah, I do NLP. I, there's different interventions. And, you know, people see Tony Robbins work with somebody and in two seconds it's like, whoa, their, their stutter's gone, <laughs> you know, or things like that that are like real profound interventions. Um, and that's what NLP does. But but most of the time I'm doing timeline therapy hmm. with people just over and over again on different things. You know, yeah. today we're going to do anger and then we're going to do sadness and then we're going to do fear and we're going to do hurt and then we're going to do guilt. And we can also even do it on limiting decisions. So the work uh-huh. of Byron Katie is all about basically limiting decisions, limiting beliefs, you know, um, and is a beautiful process that I do teach uh, my clients to, to use as well. But um, I just kind of feel like when you want a result, you just throw everything at it. You know, use the law of attraction, use prayer, use <laughs> medication when you need to do that. And that's very indicated for so many people. And then some people need to get off of that. Like, I, you know, I had to get off my medication to give yeah. birth at home to my daughter. Yeah. And I was so, like, oh, you know, you just kind of throw everything at it until you um, get the result that you want. But never settle. Never yeah. settle. So walk us through the process of, uh, <clears throat> you said you did that Kelly Brogan yeah. Uh, course. Yeah. And that's what assisted you in, in getting off of your medication, yeah. right? Kind of walk me yeah. through that a little bit. I was on, so I would just remember, and by the way, I, I know I sent you the link to my, the blog post I wrote about it, which was kind of like a journal entry that I just ended up putting on the web and it broke the internet that day, at least in my world. All my friends and fat people were just like, whoa, did you seriously just that, post all that, that? I was going to say that was so neat. I was <laughs> almost going to say, I want you to read it or I want to read it yeah. if, if you want to read it. It's happy fascinating. To. Happy to. Do you so, want me to read it now? Yeah, you can Here, read it now. Let's read it. And I can pull it up. Or, But you I also can... want you to share with me your um, your uh, journey of getting off medication. Because Abs- when I tell people I've done it, they're shocked. They can't believe it. They yeah. don't think it's even possible. Well, you know, and so. it's funny because the, the also the other side journey on that as I'm pulling this uh, pulling this up. Let's see, I sent it to you yesterday. So, um, and listeners can also find we could put the link in. But if you just Google Rebecca Overson postpartum depression, you'll find it. It's on my old Salt Lake prenatal massage blog, yeah. which I no longer own. You know, I sold that oh. business, but it's still there and published. Yeah. But it's such a yeah it's yeah. So let me send this to you, or I'll read this because then there's the sequel. So this part of it was really like when I acknowledged that I had a problem mm-hmm. and I had to do something about it. And then, you know, but the, so the side journey is like you, you know, telling people I got off medication and I'm symptom free just blows their mind. Mm-hmm. But also my ex-husband is at my house every day, every morning. We co-parent the kids. He just sent me a beautiful text this morning saying, thank you for being so consistent for the kids. I love what you provide for them. You're an amazing woman. I really appreciate the mother that you are for our kids. And he's been my next door neighbor for over a year now. We live right next door to each other. Oh, cool. You know, people go, what? You don't hate your ex-husband? I'm like, I love my ex-husband. He's awesome. Marriage isn't the what our relationship looks like anymore, but we have a great relationship. And I think I know two people that like can honestly say they love and appreciate their yeah. former spouse. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. And you almost need to, right? If you want to be happy. The, the kids, the kids don't need to suffer any more than they've already suffered. Suffer. Yeah. And you don't need to suffer by hating another human being on this planet. Seriously. So this is what postpartum depression looks like. And I wrote this May 15th, 2015. And you wrote it during your postpartum or were you coming out of it? This was when I got on medication. Right, when you got on medication. Yeah, and that was the scariest thing for me. Okay. So, to get on medication. Okay, postpartum depression. You are the thief in the night. I'm fine. I'm not depressed. I'm just angry and irritated at my husband all the time. But I'm super productive and I get out of bed, so I'm not depressed. I just feel trapped and angry and resentful of my child. But doesn't every first-time mom feel that way if she really told the truth? And all the other moms around me seem to be fine with three kids. So apparently I'm the only one who struggles. And being the strong woman that I am, I'd like to keep that to myself. Thank you very much. I'm fine. I'll just keep going. I'll just keep pretending I love motherhood. When the truth is, I really liked going to work so I could feel like I accomplished something. My life is no longer mine. I am with a babe at my breast all day, all night. I hardly sleep. My body is not mine. My time is not mine. My plans fail. 
on a regular basis. My hands are never free. I am stuck. I am chained. But I can't tell anyone this. He can go skiing, but I can't even take a shower or get to the store without barf all over me or a poop blow out up baby's back or having to stop to nurse or driving 10 minutes with a screaming infant in the backseat. God help me, I feel so out of control. But do I really have the right to complain? My planned home birth was awesome. My pregnancy was great. My child is healthy and beautiful. I have so much to be grateful for, so I shouldn't be upset or ungrateful at all. And then, sooner than planned, I'm pregnant again. Here comes our second child. His birth, all nine and a half pounds of him, passes through my body with no pain. His birth is rapid and ecstatic and joyful. I want to do it again. I still resent my husband most of the time. And we have no money. And I feel like I'm drowning with a not quite two-year-old and a newborn. But then I remember that my mother, my dear mother, had six children at my age and nine children by age 38. I can do two. My sister has two children with disabilities, one requiring constant care. I can do this. Postpartum depression is a label that doesn't fit me at all. My newborn is five months old, and when my, husband business, when my husband's business collapses, I start a business of my own out of necessity and inspiration, and it's thriving. It's the year 2009. I'm seeing 30 prenatal massage clients a week. I'm growing so fast I have to hire employees to help. I'm making a real difference in the community. I'm a doula now, too, on call for as many as five births a month. And I'm also a paid musician, performing music on stage four nights a week. I'm super busy. And my husband, well, in addition to trying to get some new work-from-home endeavors off the ground, he stays home with the kids. He sings them to sleep. He sees my baby's first steps. I barely remember my second child's babyhood. It's a blur. I don't love the burden of providing for our family. I wish I could just be a mom. And then I remember that was hard too. Something feels really wrong. I can't breathe and I'm still resentful of my husband most of the time. He can never do enough. I hate where we are in life. I make sure he knows that it's his fault. We have lots of ups and downs. I'm sinking. Postpartum depression, you sneaky little bitch. It's now 2015. My children are both in school, ages six and eight. And my husband, we've been separated for almost two years. It's brutal to hear my children cry themselves to sleep sometimes. One night after their daddy moved out, my youngest, who learned American Sign Language as a baby, signed, sad, mom, dad, family, because the sobs that are shaking his little body prevent him from speaking. It has taken me eight years to realize my workaholism is a way of avoiding depression, and I thrive on the highs of accomplishment. I'm so busy that I don't ever have to stop to feel anything. And this, in some ways, is a good thing, but clearly, like any addiction, it costs me dearly. It costs me my connection with my children, and it costs me my marriage. Last summer, I mentioned to one of my sisters that everything, and I mean everything, just felt so hard. Like, I'm hungry, but Preparing food sounds way too hard. Or I'll pick that spoon up off the floor later. Yeah, she says, you know, that's how my depression feels. Everything is too damn hard. Which doesn't make sense. That's just laziness and resistance. I notice that some days I just can't handle anything. I have no patience, no tolerance, lots of anger. The smallest misstep sends me into a spiral of hopelessness. Some days I fantasize about rolling my car to make my death look completely accidental. One morning, you know, the worst morning ever. I keep my children home from school. They're both crying their hearts out because of my angry interactions and frustration with them, with everything. I collapse on the couch in despair. I am the worst mom ever, and I should not be a mother. I call that same sister sobbing, not able to speak, and she knows. She knows I need help. After we hang up, she sends a text message saying, hang on, Beck. The cavalry is coming. She sends mom over to get the kids. She sends over my brother, who happens to be in town, to sit with me. He listens with love to the nonsense pouring out of my mind and mouth. He brings me Starbucks. He reassures me I'm okay and everything will be okay. Two more sisters call to check on me. They know. They've struggled too. 
I realize these might be signs of depression. (laughs) My midwife agrees. Maybe I just might function better with a prescription just to try it. Miss No Drugs, Natural Childbirth, Natural Everything agrees to manage her mental health with a prescription. I keep it in my purse for a week just to give me time to wrap my head around it. It's terrifying for me to take that first step because it seems to go against everything I believe. It changes my life. Five days into my prescription for the first time in a decade, I wake up happy, like normal baseline happy. And it's in that moment that I realize by contrast how I have been living. Underwater, gasping for air, thinking that's normal. Zero feels wonderful when you're used to negative 10. I feel like myself, a self I haven't felt in almost a decade. I can't believe I waited this long. I'm so sad. I cry now for a different reason. I cry because I'm so sad that I didn't know, that I didn't get help sooner. Postpartum depression, I finally open up to face you. I had no idea for eight years and maybe more you were running my life. Nothing is wrong with me. Or maybe if there is, it's simply that my brain doesn't produce enough serotonin. That's all. I'm not to blame. Nor is the father of my children. I was convinced he was the reason I felt terrible all the time. Now I'm not certain. In fact, I wonder how it would have been different if I had the resources to support him emotionally. Oh, Rob, I'm so sorry. Please, please forgive me. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. Postpartum depression, you took my marriage, you took my joy, you took my peace. But I finally understand, and I see you, and I know what you are. I grieve. I grieve a lot, but I finally understand. And I'm healing and dealing with postpartum depression. Wow. So that was 2015, coming to terms with what I hadn't known and what I hadn't been willing to deal with and what I didn't want to face, and that was really scary for me. That was amazing. You know, I'd built an identity as this, you know, essential oils, toting, natural birth, giving, no drugs, you know, in my cabinet, you know, all that stuff, and it was just like, it felt like a really, really scary thing to do, but I felt an undeniable difference. Mm. Undeniable difference, and they prescribed sertraline, which was just this, you know, generic Zoloft. And then... um, And then when I met my daughter's dad, uh, which is a whole other story, but I got uh, pregnant uh, unexpectedly and very quickly into that relationship. And um, now in hindsight, it was because of a lot of the dynamics of that relationship, my depression just, I, I really did feel trapped. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, I am pregnant. I did not make a very smart choice here. Um. I'm, I'm really doubting this relationship, but because of shame, I felt like I needed to just hold it all together. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew by the time I was nine weeks pregnant that this was not the relationship that I should be in. This was not the guy. But again, just had to hold it all together. And so um, my depression kicked in again. I was very sick, and I was in bed most of the day. I was running my clinic from home, Facebooking from bed, you know, all that. But then I definitely wanted to have another home birth, and my midwife said, well you got to get off of that medication because sometimes babies on Zoloft don't breathe. Hey, listener. Uh, how's it going? That's going to wrap up uh, part one uh, with Rebecca. Uh, quick little exercise. Um, consider uh, going and getting a midwife and uh, using a midwife or a birthing doula to have a baby. I'm talking to all the men and the women out there. Just kidding. Pretty interesting information, though, about uh, um, having a baby at home. I was fascinated by that. That's actually not your homework. That was just a a joke because men can't have babies. Or can they? Good question. Anyways, I want to thank Rebecca for all of her wonderful insight. Um, Amazing young lady, and uh, we are all very fortunate to uh, hear her mind. And so here's your homework for the week. And uh, this homework that I give you is also for me. Helps keep me square. And this one I'm going to do for sure. Um, Sign up for an art class. Even if you don't believe that you have any artistic talents, which is impossible because we all do. Um, 
we're all artistic in our own way. Um, art actually is very um, uh, creative. It, uh, we're all born with this uh, innate desire to kind of express ourselves, and I think art encompasses that, and it allows us to use our brain in a, in a different range and uh, um, be able to use that imagination in a different way than we do every day. So um, uh, here's some of the best ways in which art can create uh, some amazing expression and maybe benefit your anxiety and depression. You know, except painting, sculpting, drawing, even photography. Um, the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day, of, as we've all discussed, or as I've discussed before, and uh, maybe dropping some art into that day would break up that monotony. So when you're immersed uh, in a creative process, uh, I think you are in the flow, you're in the zone, not worried about your day, your evening, uh, or the future. So my uh, um, uh, thought for you is go sign up for an art class. Go take some pictures. Uh, maybe make it a weekly or even a daily event. Thanks again for listening, guys. Share with all your friends and family. Please subscribe. I really do appreciate uh, all of you out there, and uh, thanks for all the support. Love you all, and don't miss out on part two. Part two is incredible. Um, she shares many more amazing tools to assist with uh, ridding um, us human beings of anxiety and depression. Uh, she's done it, as you will hear in part two, and uh, challenge you all to uh, not miss it. Enjoy your day, guys. Peace out.